Section 13 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An American Vendetta A Story of Barbarism in the United States by T. C. Crawford. Chapter 9. A visit to this neighborhood will give one an exact idea of the difficulties encountered by our forefathers in traveling through the country before the days of the railroads and the telegraph. The roads are nearly in a state of undisturbed nature. There has been a very small amount of taxes or labor expended upon their improvement. After the first 15 miles leaving Charleston, there is not a single rod of good road. The rider, whether in wagon or on horseback, is in constant pain from jolting, bumping, and sliding over the rocks and down steep inclines, and soon becomes worn out with the never-ending fatigues of these most difficult of roads. The first stop made was at Racine. This is the best place upon the road, but here there are only the most primitive of accommodations. The fare is coarse harsh and particularly repulsive to one whose stomach has been thoroughly upset by the pounding of the ride. There is never a thing on any of the tables which appeals to anything but the coarsest of appetites. They have in these mountains an unattractive kind of bean which they cook in the pods, making a stew which is greatly relished by the mountaineers. I never have seen a stranger able to eat any of this mess. The meat is always poor. Pork, fried in its own grease, is served in a bowl with little thin scraps of meat floating in a perfect pond of melted fat. An occasional fried chicken we found was fried until all its juice was taken from it, and then it was loaded down with grease, making it perfectly impossible to eat. It was at Racine that I saw the star route man, the mails are carried through here on horseback. The little star route carrier said the horses were ill-fed and were incapable of making over twenty miles a day. The people are supposed to be very hospitable. When we were not in the neighborhood of a regular stopping place, as often happened, the custom of the country would be to drive up in front of a house and call out, Hello! To this appeal there would come a response from the house, and then would follow a conversation. Can you care for so many men and so many beasts? The answer would be sometimes favorable and sometimes not. I remember one night, when the fogs in the mountains swept down, chilling me to the very marrow, of riding mile after mile, trying house after house, until finally we reached one place where the host balanced on his foot for nearly ten minutes before he could make up his mind to let us come in. I never realized before the feelings of a homeless outcast and the humble feeling of gratitude that filled my heart because this mountaineer finally grudgingly allowed us to fight our way through his army of dogs to his fireside was something that I could never have imagined I could have felt under any circumstances. And yet I do not wonder that these people were reluctant to take us in. They had retired for the night. 
They were hard-working people. They were up every morning at 5.30, and our coming in meant simply a loss of two or three hours' sleep, because if they once take you into their house, then they will fulfill all the rights of hospitality. In spite of all protests, the women of the house arose as soon as we entered and proceeded to cook us a hot supper. The intention was so good that it quite made us forget the grudging admission of ourselves by the host. In one or two places where I stopped, pay was refused, but in only one or two places. The Hatfield people, for instance, would not take any pay, and were rather incensed that anything should be offered them for the entertainment which they furnished us when we were at the outlaw's house. I remember that Mr. Floyd offered one of the Hatfield little boys half a dollar for his bringing up the team. The little boy flushed to the roots of his hair and looked perfectly indignant. I do not believe he had ever had so much money in his life offered him, and it is very doubtful whether he had ever had anything like it in his possession. He looked appealingly at his father, and his father said, Well, Floyd's an old friend, and you can take it. Logan Courthouse, during a session of the court, presents a picture which is a duplicate of all court sessions throughout the petty towns of this benighted region. The place is about as large as Piketown, and is very similar in character. There is a little, long, straggling street of frame houses, small shops and stores coming down to a square, brick court building, to which is attached the jail. The people come to court not because they have any business there, but to simply meet their friends and to go on a spree. You will see, up and down the street, people exchanging gossip, sitting down in the sun telling stories, or making preparations for the glorious fun of getting drunk in the afternoon. They are always very friendly in the morning and quarrelsome in the afternoon, but they all unite in one thing, in a cordial suspicion and hatred of all strangers. The stranger who walks during the latter part of the day through one of these court towns, when everybody is well fired up with liquor, simply places himself in the way of insult and a quarrel. The mountaineers never close the day in one of these gatherings without some sort of a fight. If they cannot have it with a stranger, they are quite ready to fight among themselves. Men who have been lifelong friends will quarrel about the height of a horse, the weight of a pig, or who is the best shot in the county. From high words they soon pass to blows, and then out comes the inevitable pistol or knife. The minute the pistol appears, the friends of both sides promptly take positions, and then there comes firing all along the line. It is a common thing to hear pistol shots in the street during these gatherings. There was not a day passed when I was at Logan Courthouse that I did not hear several pistol shots during the evening gatherings, but no one was hurt or even hit while I was there. Late each night, during the court week, the town was given up to absolute orgy. The mountaineers, perfectly wild with drink, paraded up and down the streets with the dissolute women from the woods who took possession of the courthouse itself and held it each night against the officers of the law. This building, although locked repeatedly, was broken into each night 
and the officers of the law were too feeble to protect it from the use of this drunken, dissolute, fighting, murderous crowd. The dissolute mountain women who take part in these hideous brawls and night fights are the most revolting-looking women I have ever seen in my life. They are nearly all of them snuff-dippers. I saw two in Logan Courthouse last Monday morning who fairly represented the types of the worst class of this human animal. One had slow black eyes, a small nub of a nose, and a round, fat face. Her mouth was large and coarse, and when she laughed, it disclosed a row of black stubs of teeth. Her hair was oiled with grease until it fairly dripped, and was combed straight down in Indian-like bangs between her black, beady eyes. Her face was daubed right and left with red and white paint. It was put on on top of the dirt of years, which had accumulated on her countenance, which had certainly never been washed from the day of her birth. On top of her head, she wore a crazy basket-straw hat, loaded down with artificial flowers the size of small cabbages and colored with the most crude of dyes. Her dress was a flaming blue calico, without fit or shape, and which descended but a little way below her knees. Beneath this dress were displayed coarse woolen stocking and men's shoes. She and a blonde of the same type, who wore a pink calico dress and who was even more hideous, if anything, than her associate, the two smoking long-stemmed pipes, spitting and swearing, stormed up and down the town, Two she-devils it would be hard to match in any other part of the world. Some of the mountaineers who were with them had certain prepossessing qualities. Most of the mountaineers have good figures, and some of them have very fine faces. Sober, you will often find them reasonable and fairly good talkers. But these women, sober or drunk, are the most vicious, the most hideous, the most repulsive creatures I have ever seen in my life. But even the best of the mountaineers seemed to find them attractive, and wherever these two foul fiends of women went, smoking and sputtering with their pipes, they were followed by a crowd of howling men who were ready to fight to the death for the privilege of the company of these creatures who had the mere semblance of women. There is little more to be said about this country. It has no law which can be enforced. The representatives of the law hold the places merely for the petty salaries connected therewith, and never, under any circumstances, attempt to enforce any of its provisions. The few feeble attempts which have been made to punish murder in this part of West Virginia have been directed entirely against the inhabitants of the state of Kentucky. The same can be said concerning the authorities of Pike County, Kentucky. There are no newspapers circulated throughout the district. You see an occasional weekly newspaper. No one ever has any books. There is absolutely no recreation except that of getting drunk and fighting. The great missionary societies, which are devoting so many sums to the establishment of missions abroad, 
could well afford to turn their attention towards this outlaw land where murder reigns supreme, where the rule of the man of might is absolute, and where justice and the common comforts of modern civilization are absolutely unknown. End of section 13. Recording by Linda Johnson.